morning, we will be in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. When you've made it there, say, I will trust in Jesus. All right, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 to the end. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. We're glad that you're here. Um, This Sunday, we finish up our Axiom series. And so what we've done is we've taken some time, and as you see how those blocks, doesn't that remind you of the old video game, the boop, when it just goes on one side to the other? What was the name of that game? Pong, yeah, that's when technology was just the greatest, right, for sure. Um, But these axioms build one on the other. And what we've done is we've looked at the Gospels, uh, which are like many biographies, historical accounts of Jesus Christ, and we've asked, um, how did Jesus interact with the world? Um, What did Jesus believe about God the Father and about the world around him? And that's what we've seen in these axiom statements. And they've increasingly sort of built on each other um, with weightiness, if you will. Um, Also, next Sunday, we'll be starting a new series through the month of November um, called The Prayers of Jesus. And so I think now more than ever, um, we need to understand this concept of prayer. We need to be in prayer for our world, for everything that's going on. And no better person to teach us in prayer uh, than Jesus himself. So that'll be starting um, next Sunday, which is also a great time for you to just invite somebody who hasn't been a part and they can come, uh, come and jump on the board with us. So, hey, I want to do just a quick review and look at what we've learned over this series, okay? The first thing that we, the word that we learned was this word kairos, um, which means it comes from Mark chapter 1 when Jesus says the time is at hand. Um, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, the word time there, Jesus could have used a number of words, but he used the word kairos, which, which means to be aware of something. And so what we're saying is this, that Kairos is being aware of God's activity in my life. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you're having a conversation with someone, maybe a cup of coffee, maybe you're in a community group, maybe it's with your spouse, and you're sort of just sort of decompressing about the day, hey, how was your day? Well, I had this, I had this. Um, We want to start using this language of, hey, I, I think I had a Kairos moment today. You know what I've been praying about at work, about that situation with my boss, and this, that, and the other. Um, This actually happened today, and I really feel like God's doing something in my life. And would you continue? We want this language to sort of be handles for us in this journey of discipleship. And so a kairos is just being aware of God's activity in our life. That can be good. That can be bad. A lot of times we're only focused on the bad, like, well, I'm really aware of what God's doing in my life in this area, right? But it's also in the good. So kairos, it's being aware of God's activity. 
And what builds on that was the first axiom that we learned, which is this. God is always present and at work in our life. Always. Constantly. Through the sunshine, through the rain, God is always present and at work in our life. And that affects everything. How we pray, how we... I mean, think about this. Maybe you have um, an important meeting or, or a phone conversation or... Um, something big that's coming up in your life, like extended family and everybody sitting around a table eating food for an extended period of time, also known as the holidays, okay, right? Um, we don't have to live in fear and anxiety in regards to how something like that turns out because we know that God is always present and at work. So God is at, present, uh, at work and present with you in every aspect of your life. And then axiom number two, we learned this. God is like Jesus. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ones, that God is like Jesus. So why we study and look at the Gospels is, is when Jesus um, interacts with somebody like the woman at the well or somebody caught in the act of adultery or um, a, an outcast in the town or something like that. What we're seeing is, is God saying, um, I'm like that. When Jesus loves the unlovable and touches the untouchable, it's God saying, hey, I'm like this. I'm like this. So listen, as followers or somebody, maybe if you're peeking over the fence at Christianity, listen, we can never say this. Boy, I, I don't know what God is like. I don't know what God is like. Because we have the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So God is like Jesus. The third axiom is this. God meets us in reality. God meets us in reality. The reason why that's important is because um, God doesn't meet us where we pretend to be. Right? God doesn't meet us where we pretend to be. And oftentimes we think, I need to get my life um, categorized and cleaned up here and there. And then, you know, the first of the year is coming up. And so I've got these goals. And so I'm going to, you know, maybe be reading the Bible this year and doing this. But before I do all of that, I need to get these things in order. And what we see is, is, is God meets us most intimately, most beautifully um, in the raw, in the real very simply, who we are. God meets us in reality. The fourth axiom is this. Um, God cares more about it than you do. And that is just like a flood of good news, right? That God cares more about it than you do. So um, that thing that you've been praying about for all those years, or that situation that may keep you up at night, resting in the fact that God cares more about that than you do. Hey, moms and dads, God cares about those babies more than you do. God cares about whatever situation that you think that nobody cares about. God cares about that more than you do. And, and we said the good news was this as well, that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, man, this is good news. This is the beginning of the sermon, but I'm ready to preach. Are you okay with that? All right, here we go. Um, when it comes to this relationship with Jesus Christ, the good news is, is that God is more committed to your relationship with him than you are. Because just think about it. Imagine if this thing depended on you. Right? And some of us live that way. Some of us live that way as if God has pushed all the chips in your corner and was like, you know, I mean, I really... 
mean, I thought the Holy Spirit would take care of it, but I was really dependent on you there, you know? No, the good news of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that God is more committed about the relationship than you are, and that's called grace. That is good news, that God cares more about it than you do. And then we learn this as well. What God does through you, um, He also does in you. And so one of the ways we've said to, to learn the axioms is to maybe invert them as well, which means this, you could say it in the negative sense. God will never do something through you that he has not first done in you. And a very good example of that is um, whether it's being in a position of leadership or counseling someone or doing this, that, and the other. God is never going to do something so profoundly through you that he has not first done deeply inside of you. And see, what we want is... We want Amazon Prime when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. I mean, we want two days or faster, man. Like, hey, Jesus, this um, situation in my life that's been going on, like with my parents or my marriage or whatever, or this physical suffering, hey, if we can press fast forward on this season in my life, can we get around this? Can we get over this? And then the reality is, is when we look back upon these axioms building on each other, God's doing something in you in this season in your life. And then he does something through you. And then we learned this axiom last week, that the goal of discipleship is divine union. What we said is, is it's oneness with God. And we said, well, where does that design for discipleship come from? And, and we looked at Genesis that the goal of marriage is oneness as well, that the two shall become one, that a diversity would be a unity. And we said the implications of that are so profound because when you look at the world right now, everybody's trying to gather around something, around a cause, whether it's, you know, make America great again or Black Lives Matter or this, that or the other. Everybody's searching for a cause to unite. And everybody says that if you get behind this, then we'll all be united. And just quick, just quick survey, official Barna survey here. How's that going? Right? But the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is, is that it's a diversity of people, different socioeconomic backgrounds and all of that, who are unified by the person of Jesus Christ. And that, that is what the world is looking for. We said that's what the goal of discipleship is. And so this week, um, maybe this will help. After I had gotten um, saved after college, the Lord just sort of radically intervened in my life. I had great parents. I'm the youngest of four boys. So I didn't have like the cop-out testimony of like, you know, my parents didn't love me or this, that, and the other to, to sort of give an excuse as to why my life was in shambles. Um, I was an idiot. That's just kind of what it is. Like, that's just, hey, you've made horrible choices in your life, and this is why it is what it is. And so um, after the Lord saved me, I, I did what any just young man who's winning life does. I, I, I moved back in with my parents, right? <laughs> and so moved back in with my parents, and I was looking for a job. Uh, I needed a job. And so there was a man in the church that my dad pastored. Uh, his name was Carl. He had a farm, and he was a plumber. And so my dad was actually visiting Carl at a, uh, it was a hospital visit. Carl was going in for some surgery. 
And my dad said, hey, just be praying for my boy. I believe the Lord's doing some things in his life. And right now he's looking for a job. And Carl just said, hey, I can use him. I can use him. And so um, I became an apprentice to a master plumber, which consisted of me carrying the toolbox, me handing the wrenches, and me doing all of that type of stuff for a pretty uh, long majority of that time. And I'll never forget, uh, Carl had to go out of town one day, and he was always on call there in the small town. So if anybody had anything go wrong, they would call Carl. And so Carl went out of town, and he called me one day and said, hey, just let you know, I'm going out of town. He was actually going to the sale barn. He said, I'm going to the sale barn. If anything comes up, um, you're, you're on deck. You're on call. And I was like, I'm on call to, like, hand you a wrench? Or what do you mean on call? So all day, I'm super nervous, like, please don't call, please don't call, please don't call. And sure enough, uh, Patsy's the journeyman, the restaurant there in Donovan, uh, cooks with enough grease to solidify their pipes at any moment. And so their sewer and stuff had backed up. So Carl called me, and he said, hey, uh, you're on deck. You need to go to my house, get the work truck, go to the journeyman. You need to unload the snake. And, and what the snake is, if you don't know anything about this, the snake was this giant orange thing that weighed 500 pounds that required a, a, a winch to get it out of the truck. And you would take it and you would hook it up. And then it was this long steel cable with this Freddy Krueger hand on the end of it that you shoved down into the sewer pipe. And then it would spin around and unclog the sewer pipe. It was great. And then sometimes it would bind up and it would snap and all the wet water that was on the snake would go in your face and on your mouth and all of that great stuff. So he calls and says, hey, you, you need to load up and, and you need to go do this. I said, uh, Carl, what do I do? I don't, what do I do when I get there? Um, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you do what you've seen me do every day. You do what you've seen me do every day. So I go up to the journeyman, and four hours later, right, um, I get it done. I actually got it done, and I was really, really excited about that. Listen, I'm going somewhere with this. When it comes to discipleship, there's stages in, in this journey. And, and the last one, the last one that we're going to leave with and end with is, is this. We learn love through embodied participation. Now, that's a clunky sentence, but let me put the jelly on the bottom shelf. The goal of discipleship is that divine union with the Godhead. And what we understand the scriptures teach us is that God is love. Listen, the whole goal of this thing is love. is to know that you are loved and then to express that love. That's it. It's love. It's what the world needs. It's what every human heart longs for. That is the goal in this thing. But listen, we have to learn this love. And the way we learn this love is by participating in what God is doing. So, what Carl was doing as, as his apprentice was discipling me. And when it came to a moment when, when I was needed, I participated and put into practice everything that I had seen Carl do day in and day out. And when it comes to discipleship, the word disciple actually means learner or student. 
That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is, is to learn from him. That's why he says, come to me, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, learn from me. That's, that's what this goal is. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at um, the stages, if you will, the design of discipleship. I'm going to look at three stages and we'll end with this participation one. And, and listen, this will be applicable to everybody in the room today. All right. And, and, and I want us to be asking some questions that we're going to be learning. But do you know what I thought of when, when I just read through the scriptures this week? You, you see language like the Apostle Paul saying, I'm in pains of childbirth so that you would be formed as a disciple. All of this type of language. And, and when I think about the design or the stages of discipleship, um, what I thought of was whenever uh, we were pregnant with our first one, well, Courtney was pregnant. When Courtney was pregnant with our first child, Roman, she had this like little app thing that would tell you um, like, oh, 16 weeks, your baby's uh, the size of an avocado or something like that. It would let you know like what the stages and what that was. Listen, when we walk through these stages, um, you're going to get to see a picture of where you are and where we need to be as well as disciples. So if we learn love through this participation, there's some stages before we get there, okay? And the first one is this. The first one is invitation. Invitation. That's Jesus saying, follow me. Follow me. Write this scripture reference down. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said these words. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Everywhere in the Gospels, we always see this and understand this truth that Jesus Christ makes the first move. Always. Always. Why? Because God makes the first move. You say, well, Jason, you got any scripture to back that up? Uh, yeah, actually I do. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God said. Any other questions? Right? Everything else flows from that, that God is the initiator, and then we are the responders. So, so listen, some of us grew up with more of a uh, charismatic background, if you will, and, and sometimes in the charismatic circle, what you have is, is that we need to sort of like conjure up God. We need to do this thing and get this stuff going, and if we do this, then God will do this, and then this, and then this, and, and, and listen to me. I, I love my charismatic friends. I, I believe everybody should have a Pentecostal friend that they can call and say, hey, would you please pray for me right now? Because when they do, they pray real loud, real fast, and they do it right there, right where you're at. And it's awesome and incredible, right? It's so great. But listen, we don't conjure up God. We don't have to feel the burden of, quote, unquote, making things happen. Please listen to me. God makes the first move. Always. You say, Jason, well, well where's God making the first move um, in my life right now? Well, you're in church. <laughs> so maybe God's initiating something right now in your life, okay? And, and for some of you, you're in this stage of your life, um, that, that Jesus Christ is saying to you, follow me. And you've known this. 
You've known this in the depths of your heart that what's been going on over these past couple of years and that burden that you feel and that angst, that is the Holy Spirit working conviction in your life. And please listen to me. Jesus Christ is pursuing you and he's chasing you. And right now, through his timeless word and through the Spirit of God, he is inviting you in on the journey. He's inviting you in. And at the end of the message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to respond to that. So, so the first stage is um, invitation. It's follow me. And isn't it so great who Jesus picks? Like, Jesus picked some of you. Right? Like, he picked me. Are you, are you kidding me? Right? And what, what overwhelms me is that not just that he picked us knowing what we were in our current state, Jesus asked us to follow him knowing that we would wander off years down the road and that we would still pursue after other things. Listen, this grace is unbelievable that Jesus offers us. And the first um, development and stage in discipleship is invitation. And it's Jesus saying, follow me. And for some of you, that's happening right now. Now, for some of us, we've accepted that invitation and we've said, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm putting my eggs in this basket. I've tried everything else. Frank Sinatra lied. When I did it my way, it was awful. I'm doing this thing, okay? Which leads us to the second step, which is this, um, observation. So it's Jesus saying, hey, follow me. And then after Jesus says, follow me, and we say yes, Jesus says this, um, be with me. Be with me. Because look at what he says in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. And he went up on the mountain and called to him, remember, Jesus makes the first move, called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now here it is. So that they might be with him and then that he might send them out to preach. Um, our activity with Jesus comes from our intimacy with Jesus. And this is something that I have to say because it's a great burden that I have here in, in, in this part of the country and in Popper Bluff where there's Dollar Generals, Mexican restaurants, car dealerships, and churches on every single corner. Many of us think because we are around it, that we are in it. And that's just not the case. Or, or to put it this way, proximity to Jesus doesn't mean intimacy with Jesus. Proximity to Jesus doesn't mean intimacy with Jesus. And we see three plus years, night and day, that the twelve spent with Jesus... And Judas went to the greatest seminary the world has ever known, saw the greatest things that, the, that has ever happened in the history of the world. And Judas um, is not having a good day today. Judas um, did not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and anytime I think about that, it's, it's so burdensome. 
Because to think that, well, because, you know, my, my grandma's a member and, and we go and, you know, the CEO Christian, the Christmas and Easter only. And, you know, we do that. And we give every once in a while and we do this. But that phrase in Mark that they might be with him is, is an imperative. It means this level of intimacy that's there. And do you know what else we see in the scriptures? We see um, the disciples do this awesome stuff. They're like, Jesus, we cast out demons. We did this. It was incredible. Lightning came down from heaven. It was awesome. And you know what Jesus says? Oh, cool. Um, hey, why don't you come away with me and let's go pray for a little bit. Let's spend some time together. And then at one point he says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to your name. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. You see, the goal is always relationship. And how that happens is through this observation of seeing in the scriptures and then living life in community with other believers and seeing, man, how do these people love each other? And what does that marriage look like? And what is this? And, and we're going to get into more of those details, but here's what I'm trying to say. You can only live like Jesus by living with Jesus. You can, I mean, if you're trying to live like Jesus apart from the intimacy with Jesus, it is crushing. It is crushing. Because like trying to, listen, Jesus is a horrible, like, quote unquote, good example. And here's what I mean by that. Some of you are like, what do you mean? Um, he's perfect. He's perfect. So every day if you're like, well, he's just my example. And so it's going to be crushing and you're never going to live up. But if Jesus is your savior, your savior, that's a profound difference. And so the only way that we can live like him is to be with him, okay? So, so the development stages, right? We're going from, you know, an avocado to a banana, okay? We're, we're, we're growing here. It starts with invitation, Jesus saying, follow me. It continues with observation with Jesus saying, hey, be with me. And then we get to the third phase, which is participation, which is Jesus saying, imitate me. Imitate me. So the development stages are Jesus saying, follow me, be with me, and then imitate me. Look at what it says again there in, in, in Mark chapter 3. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and then he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Well, um, where do you think the disciples learned to preach? by watching and observing Jesus preaching. And, and here's what we always see, the rhythm, right? We see that there's this moment in the Gospels where Jesus goes up the mountain uh, to, to have some prayer time with God, and the disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain, and there's somebody who comes up with a demon. And it's like a serious situation, and they're trying to, like, expelioso. They're trying to do all this stuff, and it's not working. And the people are, like, super disappointed. They're like, you're supposed to be... The, like the apostles, why isn't this working? Jesus comes down the mountain and he says, this one only works with prayer and fasting. But here's what we see when we look at that story. It's Jesus always saying, hey, hang out with me, be with me. And then Jesus going, hey guys, go into that town. Uh, don't take any money bags with you and cast out some demons and preach. And the gospel, you know, the disciples are like, um, is there like a one-on-one -on -one class for this? Like, how do we do? And he's just, no, just try it. 
Just, just go and do it. And then here's some other verses that we see as well. Matthew 28. This is the whole goal. This is Jesus' marching orders. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Hey, followers, go make more followers and more disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now here it is, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Hey, Jesus, what's the goal of being a follower of, of you? Well, it's, it's to know my love and then to show that love to other people and to make those disciples who do the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus says the goal is to teach these people to obey what I have commanded. And then we see the Apostle Paul carry this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, as a pastor to a church, says, hey, okay, what's our discipleship class? What's our discipleship program here? Um, it's um, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And listen, when, when I thought about that this week, that is such a bold statement to say. That is such a bold statement to say to someone. Um, hey, why don't you just imitate my life because I'm trying to imitate Jesus? Like right now on a comfortable like scale, how comfortable would you be just turning to someone and saying, yeah, just do everything that I do? Right, parents? Because it's not do as I do, but do as I... Yeah, that's anti-gospel. And, and, and Paul's saying, this is what it looks like. Um, imitate me. Look at the way I handle money. Look at the way um, that I interact with people. Look at the way that I pray. Look at the way that I read my Bible. Look at, because I'm chasing after Jesus, and so we can all do this thing together. And then when we look in Hebrews chapter 13, that same word's used again. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I mean, West Side, goodness gracious. I mean, if you're a board member, if you're a ministry leader, what the scripture is saying is that your life should be open. And here's what we try to do with it. We try to Instagram it. And so what we say is, oh yeah, sure, sure. Imitate my life, but imitate my Instagram feed. Okay? Not my, my, my actual life, right? But no, 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 no. We see that in, in the brokenness, in that brokenness is when real learning happens. So, so look at these three stages again, okay? It's invitation. It's Jesus saying, follow me. The second one's observation. It's Jesus saying, hey, listen, be with me. And then the third thing is participation. It's Jesus saying, imitate me. Um, when we look at those three stages, where are you right now? Just a little bit of self-reflection. Where are you? If you're, if you're somebody who's saying, man, I've been peeking over the fence at this thing, um, you're at the invitation. The scriptures would say to you, today is the day of salvation. That there's no, I'm going to get this together and then accept that invitation. Some of you are um, at, at observation right now. And, and, and listen, by the way, 
I absolutely love when, when people are in the observation stage of discipleship. Because people have questions, there's a little bit of doubts there, there's a little bit, and listen, I always want you to know that Westside will always be a church that welcomes people who are doubters or who have questions about the faith, always. Because, I mean, later on, even in the book of Jude, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. And, and, and listen, here's what we believe at Westside. If you're in the observation stage, or if you have some questions to not accept Jesus' invitation, here's what we say. Big questions require big work. And here's what we will not let you get away with at Westside is going, well, I don't really believe the Bible just because I believe like a bunch of just white guys wrote the Bible. And how could you even trust it? Because you saw like this YouTube video of Joe Rogan's rant or something like that for two seconds, right? And so now, so here's what we want to do. If you have those questions about that stuff, we want to walk that journey with you. Whether it be about the scriptures, whether it be about the resurrection, whatever any of that is, we want to journey with you. And then there's the participation. That's the imitating life. So where are you at right now in these stages? And then the second question, um, where do you need to be? Where do you need to be? Because I would probably say um, a majority of us in surveying and, and knowing our congregation is a lot of us are in the observation. And we've been there for a real long time. And, and can I just say something real quick? Okay. Um, the kiddie pool's great for kids. It's real weird when a 50-year-old man's in the kiddie pool. Here's what I mean. Some of us have been in the observation pool for, for a little too long. And now we need to step out into this participation. We've been observing. We have relationships. We see. But now we need to step out and, and try. And listen, this is probably the most profound statement that I'll say all day. Discipleship is hard. It's hard. To get to the participation stage is hard. I mean, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses before we read, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life. And then Jesus says this, few find it. And do you know what the hardest thing for me is to be a pastor? The hardest thing that I didn't know that was never in a book, never in seminary or any of that stuff is to watch people bail on the journey and give up. Do you know how many people walk through those doors and start? And then do you know how few are continuing steadfastly? Discipleship is hard. And why is it so hard? Because discipleship is designed to happen in relationships, guys. That's why it's hard. Why is discipleship hard? Because it involves people. And people are people, right? I mean, church would be great if it wasn't for the people, right? That's what Spurgeon always said. He said, there is no perfect church. And my dear friend, if you found it, don't join it because you would ruin it. 
It's, it's this relationship aspect. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to get real, real down to earth. Practically, what does it look like for you to move from these stages in discipleship? How do you move from observation into participation? Um, what does it look like to, to go from um, being, which, which, which we always stay there, but then what does it look like to step out in faith? What does it look like to step out in faith and start imitating and risking and having these relationships? This comes from the Gravity Leadership website, and I found it so helpful. Um, the first one is this. Look for God in the ordinary and help others do the same in your relationships. Look for God in the ordinary. Do you know what massive opportunities we have this coming week with it being election week? I mean, everybody is going to, I mean, the conversations are there, guys. And, and, and to just go and ask some questions of what it would look like if you were somebody who was voting for one candidate and you knew somebody who was voting for another candidate and for you to have a conversation with one another and then to Ask questions about, man, how does that feel? What do you think God's doing in your life right now? And, and, and why do you think when somebody talks about the political party that you affiliate with that you feel like that it's a personal attack on you and that you have to do, what do you think God's showing us about our identity? That's very simply what, or, hey, I know I um, saw you getting the kids buckled into the van um, earlier today and it looked like one of them hit you in the face with a Lego. How you doing with that, right? It's just the ordinary day to day. You wouldn't believe how some of the best conversations I've ever had started with, hey, uh, I knew today was the first day of school. How you doing with that, with dropping the kids off? And that's what it looks like. It just looks like finding God in the ordinary and helping others do the same in our relationships. The second one, this. Um, find small ways to walk with others. Find small ways to live life with other people. Um, discipleship for me in my life looked like chocolate milk, prairie farm chocolate milk, and hostess honey buns for about two years. Um, when I worked with Carl, Carl was a God-fearing man who, who loved Jesus, and the Lord had saved him. He had been married to his wife, Debbie, for a number of years, or still married, got kids, so the whole deal. And we would never, I couldn't take my lunch because we were at job site to job site to job site to job site. And if you know Carl, he literally ran from one job to the other, seriously. Like, and so we would just eat in the truck. And so um, Carl's routine was always on the way to the job site, we would stop at a gas station and we would get a chocolate milk and a honey bun for our 10 o'clock break. That was the only break that we got during the day, 10 o'clock break. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter how busy the day was, how many jobs we had to do. It didn't matter if there was sewer all over the floor in a restaurant or something like that somewhere. When 10 o'clock happened, we went to the truck, we drank our chocolate milk, and we ate our honey bun. And I listened. And I would listen to stories of what it's like to be married to the same woman for 25 years what it's like to raise a child, what it's like when your parents die, what it's like to be broke, what it's like to have God do. And I just listened. It wasn't profound. It wasn't flashy. But to this day, I remember the conversations. And all Carl did, all Carl did was, hey, you want a chocolate milk and honey bun? You want to just simply be 
and figure this thing out together. So what does that look like for you in your life? I mean, with coworkers at break time or people in your community group or this, that, and the other, does it look like going on a walk every day with this person uh, on their lunch break or doing this or doing that? Guys, those are organic ways to be connected to one another. So find these ways. The third thing is this. Um, lead in weakness and not strength or perfection. And this is, um, a lot of this has to do with personality types. People are not projects. And the worst thing, the worst thing is to feel like you're somebody's project. When, when they have um, sort of an aura about them of, now you're my student and I am the teacher. And I will, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is, here's my life. Good, bad, and ugly. Here's my life, and here's what God has shown me in my life. That is what people are looking for. Listen, people are looking for authenticity. That's what they're looking for. And my wife and I have experienced this. This is a picture of our dear friends, Jason and Leanne, and their family and our family. They came down for Easter when we had Easter at the Coliseum. Courtney and I uh, got married and moved up to St. Louis. I uh, took her out of the bedroom that she had grown up in a large portion of her life and moved to a town where we didn't know anybody. I was now on staff at a church, and we were married. And it was like, hold on, okay? We had no idea how to figure this thing out. We were in new stages in our life. And what Jason and Leanne did is they took us under their wing. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't go, well, now, here's what, you little kid. It, it, was, it was an equalness in the relationship. But here's what they said. Hey, we've walked down this road before, and all we can tell you is where the big potholes are, where the sunrises are, where the rain is, and where the sunshine. We can tell you all of those things. And there were times in our life where Leanne would sit Courtney down as an older woman who had been married longer and said, this is what it looks like to love your husband. And there were a million times where Jason sat me down and said, you're an idiot. What are you doing? They have full access to this day. They have full access to our lives. Are they perfect? Do they have it all together? Absolutely not. But walking that journey with them has grown our marriage and our relationships more than we can. So listen, um, what does it look like for those of you who've been married longer and who are older couples to invite a younger couple that you've seen at church out to lunch one Sunday after church? Or what does it look like to have coffee or to do? Guys, listen, we don't need a committee. We don't need to do this, that. It, it's the organic initiating of those relationships. And then the last thing is this, lean into vulnerability. And this is one of the hardest parts, to be vulnerable. Um, you know why? Because if they fully know me, they probably won't fully love me. Or if I'm vulnerable with them and I tell them what I've gone through or what I'm struggling with, they're going to use it against me. And I would love to tell you that that's not going to happen here at this church. I mean, I'm going to try my best for something like that not to happen to you. But people are difficult, and it's hard. We are broken sinners. 
And when you find out, you grieve that relationship and then you move on to the next one. Listen, do you want the equation for discipleship? This is the most profound equation that I could ever give you. You ready? This is it. If you do this, if you do this, I believe that your life could change forever. And here's the equation. You ready? Trying plus time equals transformation. Really? That's... The zinger? Yep, that's it. Trying plus time equals transformation. Listen, we say all the time, this isn't a microwave. It's like a crock pot. These relationships need to marinate and they need to soak and they need to be together. And the text that was read to you in closing, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ends his teaching, which is if you were a disciple, you are supposed to live this way. This is what it looks like. And he says there's going to be two people. Two people. Notice they're both building houses. Notice they both have a storm come. Notice there's, there's all these similarities. There is one thing that is different. He who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them. They both hear, but then one tries it, tries it. And, and listen, what if, what if the answer to your prayer and what if what God is going to do next in your life is on the other side of obedience, is on the other side of obedience? It's not before it. It's in the trying plus time equals transformation. And if I could close this series in the words of John Stott, he says this, In applying our Lord's teaching to ourselves, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read. And the church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible, we heed the words of Christ. And in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. And as a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him Lord. Our membership, therefore, lays and rests upon the serious responsibility of ensuring that we know and what we say is translated into what we do. Into what we do. So where are you at in the development? And where do you need to be? And if I could tell you anything, step out in faith. And over time, the transformation will come slowly. Westside, if you would, stand to your feet. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, I want to offer an opportunity. Some of you say, Jason, I'm at the invitation stage. God's been doing something in my heart and in my mind this past year. I have never fully, I cannot look at my life and show you a moment when I accepted the invitation that Jesus Christ offered to follow me. And it gives me doubt, Jason. It gives me worries. I want to provide that opportunity for you right now today. And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus says through the power of the Holy Spirit, right now today, follow me. And if you've never accepted that invitation and that opportunity, I just want you to shoot your hand up right where you're at just to acknowledge you and to see you. Amen. 
Amen. In this moment, we step out in faith and we answer the call that Jesus has to follow him. So Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful for the invitation and the opportunity. God, for those of us who are stepping out in faith for the very first time, saying, I want to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you empower them, open up their heart and mind. God, for those of us who are in the staves of observation and we're looking, we're new to this, we're infants. God, give them grace as they observe. God, for those of us who are stepping out in faith going, you know what? I got to pick up the phone. I got to call that person. I've got to step out in faith. I got to write this check. It is time for me to imitate Jesus. I've observed long enough. God, would you meet us in a very real place, in a very real moment in that time? God, may we not just be hearers only, but God, may we be doers of your word. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.